Live from the Great White North, this is the Canadian Investor, where you take control of your own portfolio and gain the confidence you need to succeed in the markets. Hosted by Braden Dennis and Simon Belanger. The Canadian Investor Podcast. What's going on? It's April 4th, 2022. My name is Braden Dennis, as always, joined by Simon Belanger. How are we doing? Uh, the richest man in the world is now the largest owner of Twitter. Yeah, that was quite the news today. At first, I thought you were talking about me for the richest man in the world, but I guess not. Uh, yeah. You're referring to... <laughs> After seeing your Bitcoin stake, man, I, you're, you're up there. You might be neck and neck with Elon at this point. I think I have long, long ways to go. Uh, but yeah, Elon <laughs> did announce that uh, he now has a stake in uh Twitter uh, bought $3 billion worth of stock, which gives him a 9.2% stake in the company and is now the largest shareholder of the company. So what are your first impressions on that? So he made, we, well, we have a couple things here, right? Like he made this poll on, on Twitter on March 25th saying free speech is essential to a functioning democracy. Do you believe Twitter rigorously adheres to this principle, yes or no, in this poll? Two million people voted, and 70.4% of people said no, that Twitter essentially does not adhere to free speech being essential, okay? And later in the day, I guess at 4.26 a.m., what is he doing? Um, He replied, the consequences of this poll will be very important. Please vote carefully. <laughs> and I just think like little do we know he's talking about like potentially, you know, buying a ridiculous amount of the stock. One, he can afford it. Let's uh let's 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 put it that way. He can afford it. But two, it's like, dude, this platform is so important to this guy, not only from like a marketing perspective, but like his fanboys all follow him on on Twitter as well, and so I, I don't know. I, I don't really have any particularly hot takes yet. Do you? I mean, not really. I know he was. Uh, he had talked about building his own social media platform about like ten days ago, and yeah, I yeah. think he probably looked into it and figured it was just easier to invest. What like uh, the figures I saw is about like one percent of his net worth to acquire that stake in Twitter. So it's it's still, you know, as funny as it is, it's almost like pocket change for Elon to buy a $3 billion stake in it. Yeah. But, you know, I tweeted earlier today on our uh, Canadian investor Twitter account at CDN underscore investing. And the comments that we got for people, just their first impression, um, it was pretty interesting. Some people are kind of indifferent. I know uh, C-Roy compounding, that's what he mentioned. Uh, someone had a pretty funny one. Uh, he replied, it's called mid-age honesty. He just replied Rupert Murdoch, which <laughs> it's pretty funny when you think about it with the um, his, uh, media empire. Uh, but I think for the most part, people are not quite sure what to think about this, uh, just like you. I'm kind of in that same boat. I don't know if he wants to be more hands-on. Will he nominate some directors on the board? What not? Are we going to see some big changes with Twitter? Um, I mean, at the end of the day, it's not easy for Twitter as an organization. They have to really balance free speech with hate speech and not allowing it. And where do you draw the line? And and yeah, it's very it's a very difficult uh, platform to monitor if you ask me. So I don't know either where he's going with this. I agree. And the public loves to hate on these social media companies lately. And I am really glad I don't run one of them because like damned if you do, damned if you don't. You literally, you can't please everyone. That is one of the number one rules of life. You cannot please everyone. And this is just a conversation. What Elon is calling just like the... uh, the town square where people talk and you're not going to please everyone. Damned if you do, damned if you don't. We're actually going to talk quite a bit about uh, Mr. Musk today because we're going to talk about earnings and Tesla deliveries at some point as well. A stock that we have not talked about in absolutely ages, but you know, people love to, to trade the thing. It's like the number one most traded stock in Canada, which actually blows my mind given 
know, given the share price and fractional. So anyways. Yeah. And it's uh, the last thing I'll mention here, not to drag on for too long is just the allure has, right? The stock was up, what, 25% last time I checked today, just on the news. Yeah. But it still doesn't explain, you know, how the business will change going forward. He's just a major shareholder, well, the top shareholder. But, you know, will it make the business more profitable? Will it make it better? Who knows? Does it require 25% premium because Elon is at uh, is a major shareholder? I don't think personally it does, but uh, people love investing in what Elon invests, I guess. Yeah, I think people follow him into pretty much every trade. We've seen that with some of the, the gambles and, and, and some other stuff as well. And everything the guy touches just instantly turns to gold because he has this name and his $3 billion, I think it's $2.9 billion in, in stock, is already up close to 30%. Like this guy needs more money. Like it, everything, like it's actually egregious what uh, what happens here. But anyways, let's uh, let's get into the news here. You have uh, you have one here with a Canadian uh, freight airliner. Yeah. So the news came out that DHL was buying up to nine point five percent stake in Cargo Jet. So DHL Express Division, which is an affiliate of Deutsche Post DHL Group, which is listed in Germany, stuck struck a deal with Cargo Jet, which would give the German company an option to buy up to 9.5% equity stake in Cargo Jet. So the deal means that the warrants would be issued by Cargo Jet would allow DHL to acquire that 9.5% of outstanding voting shares over a period of seven years at a price of $158.92 each with vesting tied to deliveries of approximately $2.3 billion in business volume during the term. Uh, part of the reason that DHL is interested is because commercial airlines had picked up the slack during the pandemic with cargo transport due to their low passenger volume. But now that things are picking up in, ter in terms of uh, you know, airline travel. Cargo Jet is definitely one of the companies that can make up for this reduction in capacity. It is an interesting uh, agreement for sure. And uh, for those who own Cargo Jet, I think it's definitely something uh, pretty positive here because DHL is a it's a major uh, logistics company in the world. Yeah, for sure. What have the shares done on this news? Oh, they popped quite a bit, like twenty over twenty percent since. Uh since mid-March. I'm assuming that that deal has a great deal to do with it. Yeah, I think it may have been a, a mix of the earnings that were pretty good. I think probably a bit better than expected and then that deal. But uh, I think it's looking good. If I remember correctly, Amazon also has a small stake in them from a couple of years back. Yes. You know, you don't get these big companies having a stake in your company if you're not doing a pretty good job. I'll just say that. Yeah. Yeah. You got to be doing something right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, that's cool. Um, to some uh, cyber security news, the FBI came out and said that Americans, I, I don't know, I guess that includes just people and corporations, Americans, lost $7 billion in 2021 to internet crime. The report says here, Americans reported loss surpassing $6.9 billion in internet crime last year, according to this report from the FBI. Um, 847,000 complaints concerning a wide array of internet scams, which was up 7% year over year. Uh, we're going to talk about an internet scam here later in the episode as well. Dude, these things are so juicy. Like, I, I, I've been watching all these Netflix documentaries on like true crime and fraud. I'm like addicted to them. Just like inject these things into my vein. I'll watch all of them. Uh, here is the quote: In 2021, America experienced an unprecedented. Dude, I hate that word. Unprecedented is the worst word ever. Increase in cyber attacks and malicious cyber cyber activity. Said the the guy from the FBI. So, man, like, I just don't see a world where this number just doesn't continue to tick up and up and up like a good compounding stock in terms of cybersecurity losses over time. And I think that there's going to be 
some huge secular winners, whether you're like a crowd strike bull or whatever, what have you. I don't see a world where you don't make a ton of money if you have a really long horizon investing in cybersecurity stocks because this isn't going anywhere and it's going to get worse. Yeah, I mean, I think it's just uh, unfortunately the dark side of human nature where people try try to take advantage of new technologies to, you know, take advantage of people's uh, steals um some of their hard-earned money uh it's nothing new though i mean there's been scams forever right even before the internet uh people would get ever heard of bernie madoff exactly (laughs) so bernie madoff but it could have been other types of scams i know there was a lot of uh fishy things going on with door-to-door like you know hvac salesmen and stuff like that um so it's nothing kind of new it's just a new way of doing it so i agree with you definitely cyber uh, security companies should benefit from this in the long term. Yeah, totally. And if you look at what is going on, I think that there's like this forum of like hackers and people that get together that I, this is what I'm gathering from just injecting all of these uh, <laughs> these true crime documentary into my veins. There's like these online forums where people with basically not a lot of tech background can get into really complex internet scams. And it's just like, I don't know, man, it worries me quite a bit if you like scale that up market to some of these scams. Um, Anyways, I think that the big, the big winners will win in a secular way. here. Yeah, exactly. And there are some simple things like people can also just do to be safer, right? You know, don't open emails from recipients that you're not aware or emails that you're not expecting, any attachment or things like that. And when financial institutions reach out to you, as a general rule of thumb, they won't ask you for your your information or your password or anything like that. So there's just some easy ways that uh, people can be vigilant about that. Now, moving on to uh, some earnings. So Dollarama had their uh, Q4 2022 or full year earnings as well. Um, They have a bit of a weirder reporting schedule, of course, uh, because they're finishing their uh, full year earnings. So sales increased by 7.6% to 4.3 billion. Comparable store sales grew 1.7%. Gross margins were essentially flat here at 43.9%. I think they move a couple basis points, but nothing much, uh, which is pretty good with uh, based on the inflationary pressures we've seen. It's damn good, actually, I think. Yeah, just staying for a lot of companies, like just seeing those gross margins not go down too much or staying flat i think will be very good like that's probably the stronger companies that'll see that in the upcoming year that's a real signal for pricing power I yeah think. yeah exactly because their expenses are going up there is no question about that diluted net earnings per share increased 20.4 percent to two dollars and 18 cents per share compared to a dollar 81 uh last year they added 65 net new stores uh to the year uh, well, during the year, which brings its total to 1421, so 1421. They bought back 1.06 billion of stocks, and the board approved an increase of 10% in their quarterly cash dividend. Um, their guidance looked pretty good too. I have to say they had guidance for same store sales of four to five percent and will introduce some new price points. Up to $5 for 2023. So I know we had discussed this the last time we talked about mm-hmm. Dollarama. I think it was for an earnings episode too. So I think you were you were advocating, if I remember correctly, that they had some leeway to increase those price points. And they'll really be testing that with the, the $5 this year. Um, so what, what do you think will happen? Do you think they won't miss a beat, basically? My hot take is that they will not miss a beat. Because... The actual price point, like the the nominal value, the nominal number that is on there is actually irrelevant. It's the value proposition of what they're doing, which is very low priced items, basically compared to wherever, wherever else you can get it. And if you go there compared to where you're going to spend at a competitor, the value proposition still remains. And I have been banging the drum on this that the actual dollar amount they have 
a ridiculous amount of very good pricing power, which is very contrary to what the street has believed and what most people believe. And here's something interesting. The dollar stores in the US have really had a tough time doing this. They've had way more flack on the pushback for pricing of changing it from even to $2 from one. They've had real pushback on that. Now they're finally doing it because they, what, they have no choice really. And Dollarama's been selling $4 items for how long now, right? Like five, what's five, right? Like if it's, if it's <laughs> like if, if the competitor sells it for 10 and you sell it for five, the value proposition remains. I think Dollarama has excellent pricing power, which is, you know, very ironic to say in a lot of ways. Yeah, I think for me, I will, I'll wait until the end of this year. So the end of their fiscal 2023, let's say. So that will be most of 2022 and the start of 2023. Um, I'm interested in seeing what will happen in terms of their sales overall. So if they meet that 4 to 5% increase, uh, which I mean should be to me the baseline here. Because um, if we're looking at inflation figures, we're in that range right now, four to five percent. So you definitely want that to be at least a minimum in terms of growth sales for same stores. Um, so I think it'll be interesting just to see how customer react if they do hit that, even exceed it. Then clearly customers are on board, like you're saying. So I think this year will be a good test for them. Um, now more on the guidance, they want to open 60 to 70 new stores and they are guiding for gross margins between 42.9% and 43.9%. So that would be a bit lower potentially than this year. But again, I think it's respectable considering everything that's going on with supply chain issues. I'm sure they get a lot of product from Asia as well. China's had some lockdowns recently, so that may have an impact on it. It'll be it'll be a fascinating case to look at uh, when the full year is done for them. I'd like to reiterate that I think it's an interesting case study in a lot of ways on unit economics, uh, what we're seeing in an inflationary environment, wages too. It seems all of that seems very negative for, for Dollarama. And I, I see it in, a, in another way, which is every time they've been doubted on their ability to raise prices, the business has just gotten better over time. And so until I'm proven wrong about that, I have no reason to believe otherwise, basically. I've been talking about these scam Netflix documentaries. And I, I, there's probably a bunch on the other platforms as well. But, dude, I love a good true crime fraud scammer documentary. I don't know why. Like, something about it. Uh, it's a case study on sociopaths and money. Like, they're so addictive and really, like, hard to stop watching. So, there's a, there's a bunch of them that they've came out. And they keep pumping them out because they keep going to like the top five of Netflix when they release. So I'm not the only one that likes them, clearly. Uh, so have you seen the – or do you do you know about Quadriga CX? You're a Bitcoin yeah. guy. So yeah, I knew about it CX. before the documentary uh, came out. I don't know the full extent of the story. I've watched half of it so far just because my uh, wife is not super into that stuff. So it's kind of when it's okay. Simone time. I will watch it. So I'm halfway through. <laughs> okay. uh, so I still have to finish it. But uh, yeah, it's definitely a fascinating story. It is a fascinating story. So, dude, I feel like a, like a chomp. Like, I'm so out of the loop. I had never heard of the story of Gerald Cotton and Quadriga CX, even though it's like a Canadian guy. So, as a backstory, well, to be fair, I didn't, I think I was getting into Bitcoin after this thing. Thankfully, maybe I would have been up and maybe my money would have been in Quadriga CX. So as a backstory, Quadriga CX was at one point Canada's largest Bitcoin exchange. Scumbag, chief scumbag officer, Gerald Cotton, the co-founder and CEO. And, and to be honest, that the co-founder as well, who's like not really in the, in the picture, he has a history of online scams. He's a convicted felon from California, I believe. And he's somehow just free roaming the streets. Um, they were essentially just running a Ponzi scheme behind like a front end of 
you investing in a, in a site. Now, I don't want to give away all the details away because the story, you know, the documentary is entertaining and there's twists and turns. I actually watched it on the plane last week on my way home. So there were some interesting twists and turns. So I'm not going to give the whole thing away at least for a couple weeks, give you guys some time to watch it. But without like some spoilers and without what is like common knowledge on the story or basically given away on the trailer, this dude ran off with millions of dollars uh, from Canadians and is allegedly dead. But the internet detectives of this world, who, by the way, I love these guys, they have been trying to track down and are convinced that he has faked his own death in an exit scam. And so exit scams are pretty common. And like this elaborate fake your own death is just so wild, dude. Like how are these real things that have happened on earth? Like it, I, it blows my mind. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, I mean, it's a harsh reality, too, for what has plagued crypto uh, currencies for the longest time. Now, I think people, right. especially if you're just investing in like Bitcoin and Ethereum, there is some very like, you know, safer ways to do it. Legitimate companies that are well regulated. Um, you can also yes. to be even safer if you don't want you know, a company to potentially be a fraud and you don't know, you can make sure that you have your cryptocurrency in cold storage and then you control them. You're not at the mercy of any exchanges. But, you know, I started, the first time I started investing in crypto was in 2013 where a buddy of mine convinced me and I ended up losing uh, back then half a Bitcoin which of holy yeah but back then it was only worth a couple hundred dollars right so okay but again at the time you could only buy it through the exchange and you had a five percent fee via credit card that was the only option so every transaction that you made with fiat to buy cryptocurrency essentially there was that five percent fee and then i can't remember exactly what happened with the exchange i had it on but ended up being kind of a bit of a scam as well and i lost my my funds off of it yeah i mean it's i've come to peace i knew this happened to you but i i don't know all the details yeah and i just wanted to mention that because nowadays i mean you have major exchanges like you know you have in a coinbase that's active in canada in the us and around the world Uh, you have shake pay in canada that's well recognized too you have other major exchanges so it's much easier for people nowadays fees are lower and you can have a lot more trust in the businesses that are there there's still some work to be done i think in terms of regulation but it's night and day compared to even just a few years ago yeah totally and you and i both use shake pay uh, shout out to Shake Pay, uh, and like it's very kind of obvious what is legit and what's not legit out there. Like just from like a, just from like a feel test, you know. Even like I know that sounds ridiculous because you because you got to actually like do your due diligence. But some stuff out there, in hindsight, just looks so obvious because like even the website looks obvious. It's like so suspect. So. Uh, we use ShakePay. ShakePay is great. So if you want to buy, buy, want to buy, buy Bitcoin, go just use ShakePay. Okay, moving on. We got uh, we got some more earnings release. Yeah. Well, before we have more earnings release, we had the GameStop who announced a stock split. So of course, I'm talking about GameStop here. Their shares surge in ex- GameStop. <laughs> they surge in extended trading. Uh, Last Thursday after the company said it planned to implement a stock split. So the video game retailer said it will seek shareholder approval at its next shareholder meeting for an increase in the number of Class A common shares from 300 million to 1 billion to partly conduct a stock split in the form of a stock dividend. So we all know we've talked about stock splits before. They're very popular for a lot of investors it's pretty common to see that short-term pop but at the end of the day change is really nothing for the business um you know it's just just you know we talked about the pizza analogy it's just slicing that pizza into more slices without making it bigger that's right and for the investor base who loves game stonk this might make a difference just get just I'm not I'm not make I'm not talking trash, but 
for the investor base, based on what I, what I know about them, this might make a difference for them. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, we can say what, what we always say about stock split, but investing is psychology, right? So if enough investors think that this is a great move for the company and they see value in it and then they place a premium on the price of the stock because of it, well, it can, I guess, help the shares. Like it's not... There's no material value to it, but it's always the way that people would will perceive it. And if there's enough people that do, then you can see maybe even a longer term bump because of it. Yeah, and and you could maybe argue there's some reflexivity there in the share price and the business. Sure, you and I take the side of long term. It all comes out. You know, it's all it all comes out as a weighing machine, and uh, it doesn't make a difference for the business. Let's talk about Bombardier Rec Products. You guys know I talk about this one quite a bit. The owner of Sea and Skidoo, they reported full year fiscal 2022. Revenues were 7.6 billion, up 29%. Earnings per share up 84% year over year. Uh, they gained a sizable market share gain from 2021. They estimate now they have 30% of the Amer- North American power sports market share. If you include like ATVs, snowmobiles, uh, uh, PWC, which is like C- C-Dews. I talk about this name, you know, over and over. That's my style. I rarely trade in and out of stuff. So I keep tracking the same names most of the time if I like it. I think my thesis has continued to play out in this name. I- I- I'll-, I'll be honest here. That- I- and I still think it's extremely cheap. You know, trades at 11 times trailing earnings. EBITDA has exploded from $288 million uh, in 2016 to almost $1.5 billion. And the share, the share count has decreased significantly. They've paid a yield and, and raised it over time. So shareholders have been issued back capital. And they're growing extremely fast organically. They expect uh, continued growth across all of its product lines ranging from 24 to 29% across their product lines compared to fiscal 2022, which I'm talking about now. So, I mean, more good things for a company that has had issues in production, uh, big delays in actual capacity and manufacturing capacity, you know, the semiconductor shortage that has affected all vehicles and uh, power sport vehicles, recreational products vehicles are included in that. Again, these things have become a computer. Even even these type of machines have become moving computers. And so that's definitely affected their ability to uh to meet demand. Yeah. Moving forward, I mean, what like I don't I don't see them losing market share, that's for sure. No, and I think, you know, for a lot of outdoor equipment uh, like this would be or, you know, whatever you think about, I do, I've mentioned it before, I mountain bike a lot, but there could be a bunch of other things, whether you do, uh, you know, paddle boarding, uh, kayaking, whatever it is. I think the pandemic will actually have a long lasting tailwind for these type of businesses because I think it's really, it made people realize that, you know, they may have had a certain lifestyle before the pandemic and now knock on wood, you know, everything's reopening and we're not going on to a lockdown once more. Again, I don't lockdown number. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But I think even if everything is goes back to, you know, somewhat normal in the years ahead of us, I think a lot of people will probably have realized that they really enjoy these outdoors activity People that didn't even think that they they would like to do that before the pandemic, but were forced to do it because, you know, it's either that or you stayed home or in your backyard if you had one. But now you got to enjoy this new activity. And even though the pandemic is is over, I mean, you actually enjoy doing it and it's something you'll continue doing. Yeah. So I think there's going to be some, you know, definitely some pull forward demand for this. But I think we're going to see some consistent increased demand over time as well maybe not to the same extent but uh, just people realizing these new hobbies or passion that they've discovered two points there one i totally agree with you yet the market seems to be pricing it like it's all pulled forward growth i think anyways i'll take the other side of that bet i I will definitely take the other side of that bet and uh second point 
which actually, I guess it's the same point, which is if you over the last year or two have been introduced to a jet ski, you sat on one of those things, you got the dopamine hit, you're not going back. You're getting one. You're getting, and you're getting two of them. If you can get, if you can find a way to get two of them, you're going to do it. Like that's, that's the way I'm seeing it anyways. And I've been right so far and I still think the stock's cheap. So um, yeah, I'll continue to talk about it because I think it's yeah, a good Yeah, and name. those are all things too that, you know, there's there tends to be a positive feeling with those goods because you you experience something when you're using them. It's not like buying a new TV where it's like, oh, no, it's nice. I paid like whatever the price. I got this brand new TV, top of the line. You're still watching the same show after like a month. I'm pretty sure you, you know, you don't really care anymore that your TV is that new, right? Like it's not, yeah, it's a little nicer than your old one. But aside from that, I don't think it's, it creates an impression as much as just something where you can just have a whole new experience. Now moving on to uh, just some news that I saw. I think it was on CNNBC, but it was one of the major uh, news media for financial news. And it said the S&P 500 closed down for the first time for the first quarter in two years. So the S&P 500 fell 5.2% in the first quarter of 2022, which was the first time since Q1 of 2020, which is obviously no big surprise because at the end of Q1 2020, everything was going straight down like an arrow. Uh, And the S&P TSX for that same period is up 4%. So I'm in here. I'm talking about Q1 2022. So of course, go Canada, right? We're just better than the S&P 500. Go Canada, and and go Canada because uh, you're talking about potential making a splash in the World Cup. That's as well. right. That's right. Yeah. Look at us go. Stock market performance, uh, making it to uh, the World Cup since what the 80s. My God. I think we're, uh, you can get like 200 to one or something like that for Canada to win. I would take that. I mean, I don't, I've been watching all the games, but I know that they've been good. I think they're like, they're, I'm not a big uh, soccer fan either, but from what I've read from experts is that they're a bit of a underrated young team. Um, so, uh, yeah. yeah. So, hey, if you make that bet and you have the opportunity to cash out, maybe, you know, they make it, uh, it can't be 200 to one anymore after what they did in the qualifiers. Then again, I know absolutely nothing. So that, I, I checked on the weekend and that's what it was just because I think they have a pretty difficult pool. I think that's why. fair enough. Uh, sorry to sidetrack, but today is April 4th and I didn't write this down anywhere in our notes, but sports gambling was officially legalized on those platforms today for single game sports betting. I know this cause I went to, to the score bet. Uh, their launch party on okay, Saturday. Okay. You know, Sam Roberts band, <laughs> you know, <laughs> the, the uh, anyways, that's a story for another time. But today, April 4th, uh, sports betting legalized. And we've been talking about it before. I think it's obviously going to be a gigantic market. And uh, Penn National Gaming took uh, Score, which was a TSX V listed stock. They bought that out for like $2 billion. So shareholders in that were made a, Made a good penny. Anyways, I back yeah, to the S and P and the S and P. So yeah. as I was saying, the S and P five hundred was down for the first quarter in two years. Uh, so the f- I wanted to mention this quickly because you have to get past the headlines here. Um, if you put things in perspective a bit more, well, if you invest in the S and P five hundred around February 9, nine twenty twenty, you would be looking at around forty percent returns at the end of Q one twenty twenty two, and the reason I chose that date is pretty much when the S and P five hundred peaked prior to the big drawdown in late February and March of twenty twenty. So if you bought at the peak, you still would be looking at forty percent returns since then, and clearly way better if you bought in March of twenty twenty. Uh, the reason. And the reason I wanted to put things in perspective is it's easy to see those big headlines, but once you have a longer time horizon and you actually zoom out, you see that, okay, Q1, sure, it was down a little bit, and it really sucks if you started investing in the past, uh, you know, the past couple months or in late 2021, because you're probably looking at some losses, especially if you're doing uh, index funds like an S&P 500 fund, but putting things in perspective 
really helps you just stay on course, stay on track, and not panicking when you see those uh, those pullback. And 5% is not a lot, but I know if people are just starting to invest, uh, it might not feel great either. I think that context and historical performance is needed if you're looking at like, okay, the S&P does five, negative 5.2 in the first quarter. You know, if you've held the S&P for the last 5, 10 years, or even shorter, like two years, you've made good, you've made stellar returns. You know, like if I could take that two years performance and just, you know, put it out there for the rest of my investing career, you'd make tons of money. You'd make a killing. Like you, you put that into a calculator and you're like, holy crap. So it's a reminder that the market doesn't just move straight up and to the right. But what it does tell you is that, you know, if you zoom out quite a bit, there's lots of reasons to be bullish today. There's lots of reasons to be bullish tomorrow. And uh, I think it's a good time to be an investor. Let's talk about Tesla deliveries. I hinted that uh, we'd be talking more about Elon himself and the total deliveries of the company for the first quarter of 2021, or sorry, of 2022 was 310,000, which was up 68% from the Q1 of 2021. 14,000 deliveries, almost 15,000 deliveries of the models S and X, so that the more luxury line, and 295,000 deliveries for the model 3 and Y line, the less expensive uh, versions of the cars. Really impressive execution during that time of this first quarter of this year, GM has delivered 457 electric vehicles. Not 457,000, 457 electric vehicles. Now, it has become quite obvious that their infrastructure advantage over competitors is becoming larger and larger over time for Tesla. Now, this stock trades at over a a trillion in market cap. It seems to be immune from multiple compression, this expensive stock destruction that has happened. And as a shareholder base, I'm impressed. The shareholder base has continued to have the never sell attitude, uh, at least as long as their god, Elon Musk, and who, to his credit, probably the greatest engineer inventor meets businessman in history. As long as he's at the helm, you can't rip shares out of their head or out of their hand. Uh, And so you got to give it to them. I cannot comment on the valuation anymore because it has made little sense to my brain in the past. And I have been consistently incorrect, but that's fine. It's not like I short the thing or trade options on, on the thing. So it's fine. Impressive stuff all around. I, I got to say, I'm not buying shares anytime soon, but I do reserve the right, as all investors should, to have the ability to continue to monitor a story and make decisions as facts change. I think we're a long way away from there. Uh, two things have to happen, okay? One, the valuation has to give me some sort of IRR where I think I can make some money. I don't see that. Or number two, Continued mind-bending execution and expansion of the total addressable market, like the bulls keep saying that they have with their data advantage. Uh, time will tell. I, I mean, I, I'm not saying anything negative about it anymore because I'm just I'm just flat out wrong repeatedly about this stock, which is fine. You don't have to be right about every single stock, especially ones you you just have to be right about the ones you own, uh, or at least most of them. <laughs> and so. Uh, yeah, I mean, impressive execution and uh, congrats to Elon and, and the squad. Yeah, yeah, and congrats to anyone who uh, hasn't listened to us and just uh, has bought the <laughs> stock, held it for a while. Uh, clearly, you know, a lot of the time it didn't make much sense for either of us, myself included. Um, but, you know, happy to see they're doing well and whoever owned the stocks, I'm happy for uh, for you. And, you know, hopefully it'll just keep uh, going, doing better for Tesla. Yeah, look, I, I hope they keep killing it because um, it's an important company. It's an important company for decarbonization, for EV adoption, um, and they have an obsessive fan base. And if you've driven the car, I've, have you driven one of the cars? No, I haven't. 
it's it's kind of like the the sea do thing you know do it and you'll believe it i've driven the car they're they're excellent they're it's kind of ridiculous how fast some of them <laughs> go like your your head hits the back of the, the thing pretty quick and uh anyways i got uh only good things to say about the product yeah nothing more to add there so now moving on to chewy which had their q4 2021 and full year earnings sales increased 24 percent to 8.9 billion that's impressive considering the pulled for growth they had due to the pandemic in 2020 their sales had increased 47% over the 29 levels in 2020. Gross margins improved 120 basis point to 26.7%. They had a net loss of 74 million, which was down 20% from the previous year. Their share count only increased by 1%, which was less than the 3.5% increase from the previous year. So a lot of a lot of positives here for Chewy. They had 7 million in free cash flow. That's an improvement over the previous year because it was two million the previous year, and it was negative two million in 2019. So they're slowly getting uh, better in terms of free cash flow uh, generating by the business. And following the earnings release, the stock was down a whopping 16%. It seems that most of it was because of guidance. There was also some issues with uh, supply chain constraints, logistics, which is not a surprise here. Their guidance management said that they expect revenues to be between 10.2 billion and 10.4 for the this upcoming year. That's an increase of about 15% in sales if we take the low end of their guidance. And based on that, Chewy now trades at less than two times next year's sales. So, um, you know, it's uh, I think it was an overall pretty good year. Whether I think it's a good good stock to invest in i'm not sure i kind of want to see how they'll do going forward definitely this year um they have pretty low margins but the kind of business they're in it's nothing alarming obviously you shouldn't compare them to a uh, you know a SaaS business very different type of business but uh, i think it was overall pretty good it may be an opportunity for those who are looking to uh, start a position in the business but for me it's one I'll, I'll keep an eye on but i'll stay on the sidelines for now just a comment here on ryan cohen he's he's still the ceo today right i believe yeah he is like uh we we're talking about gamestop earlier he's like god amongst the reddit game stock game stonk gamblers this guy um and i think this is timely obviously because you're talking about chewy.com he found it and it, he's the ceo today can we can we confirm that no i don't think he is yeah he, oh he was the ceo now he's the now he's just the chairman of the board yeah of- now it's submit sign sign oh sorry i'm probably butchering his name but yeah okay all right so he he exited chewy but he's a billionaire from chewy uh for sure Okay, so um, he sits today on the, the GameStop. <laughs> I keep calling it GameStop. He sits on GameStop's board. And he bought a ton of stock before this mania happened. Because he, he has experience in retail. He's like, saw the, saw the you know, capabilities and the, the brand that, that they could potentially do some turnaround story. This guy's made a... So he's already a billionaire. This guy's made a killing on this stock dude if you go on stratosphere you type in gme the gamestop ticker you go to the insiders tab and you can see that this man is still buying more gamestop shares he owns nine million shares it says on the far right like it says what they're buying and total shares owned this guy owns nine million shares so he's well over a billionaire now in this stock alone at today's price everything this guy touches turned to gold he's obviously a really smart dude hard worker but my favorite part is that he is a damn savage dude i think about a lot about these guys we were talking about elon earlier these rich ceos super successful but when they're online or like just in their messaging they don't talk with the corporate bs they don't talk with like the censored wokeness and people love it Dude, this guy's like another one of those celebrity people who just 
everything he does touches to gold because he has this like following. This past weekend, he's been aggressively tweeting against Boston Consulting Group. Dude, this guy's a savage. 30,000 likes. The only thing more useful than overpriced consultants are the ones who hire them. Like, dude, this guy doesn't give a shit. Uh, I love it. And um, yeah, we, we need more people like Ryan Cohen. This guy's killing it. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I wonder if the SEC will tell him he can't tweet that much. <laughs> well, at least he's tweeting against, I'm, I'm assuming all these consulting groups are all uh, all private. But yeah, I don't know. I just think yeah, it's I don't funny. think it's affected Elon's tweeting all that much. I think he needs like, I think he needs like board <laughs> yeah. approval if he tweets something regarding Tesla. But aside from that, I think he's got carte blanche on doing whatever whatever the hell he wants. Yeah. So. As long as it's some unregulated meme coin, it's fine. Exactly. Now, moving on to uh, some some much better earnings. So, Lululemon released their Q4 2021 and full year uh, 2021 earnings. Note here that their Q4 ended January 31st, 2022. And it does include, of course, the holiday period. And what a year for Lululemon. Revenues increased 42% to $6.3 billion. And we're talking about like a, you know, it's not a small company anymore. And they still managed to increase revenues that much. Direct-to-consumer revenues increased 22%. DTC represented 44% of total revenues versus 52% in 2020. So that's not a surprise. When we talk about Aritzia, we saw the same thing, right? We saw a big increase in 2020, and then 2021, it was still high, but kind of pulled down, pulled back a little bit as people started going a bit more in store and just wanting that in-person experience for clothing. So not a surprise, kind of lines up. Revenues increased 40% in North America and 53% internationally. Now, I think the point that for me was of the biggest thing I wanted to see was their man sales increases. Like I wanted to see solid numbers there. And because that's one of the big growth opportunities for Lululemon, that and their international expansion. And man sales increased 61% to 1.54 billion. Holy. Yeah, it's it's wow. 25% of all their business now is man sales. Yeah, that I you know what? Just anecdotally, when I walk in there, I, I can see that. I mean, that that is about the number that I would say of people who are, are in there. In terms of sales, that impresses me quite a bit. Yeah. Just based on shopping habits. It's it's all it's really good, man. This is this Yeah, considering I, I can't remember when they started uh into the men's market. I know it was several years ago, but they've been really pushing that as one of the growth levers for the company and clearly it's been working and it's working really well most of their sales clearly are still from women's uh, uh, clothing and you know well for women's sales but uh, there's also some accessories and a little bit of other things but that's kind of how their uh, their sales and merchandise are divided gross margins increase 170 basis point to 57.7 percent and people wonder why i like lululemon so much this is one of the primary reasons here when we talk about aritzia that was one of the downside where they had around 44 percent if i remember correctly just on memory and lululemon is like pushing close to you know they're pretty close to 60% margins for a clothing company. That's amazing. And it'll be interesting this year. I think the most important thing to watch for me will be their women's uh, shoes to see how that grows. Mm. Because they just launched it. So they'll be selling women's shoes for most of the year. I think they launched it late March. So that'll be, uh, I would say, about 85 percent of the year so it'd be a good indicator to see if it's uh, really catching and if people and if women are actually embracing this uh, their new footwear line and the last things i wanted to mention here they have been returning capital to shareholder they bought back 813 million worth of shares in 2021 and authorized another 1 billion worth of share buybacks obviously it's always up to that amount and they their free cash flow increased seventy three percent to just shy of one billion for the year. So Lululemon performing quite well. Their guidance is looking very good. 
they're guiding for sales increasing between 20 and 22% for 2022. Dude, I look at this and I just go, holy crap, those numbers are, are kind of nuts. And then I look at us right now recording this podcast at the moment. You and I are both wearing very over, I don't know, I was going to say, over, it's not overpriced because I like paying for it. We're both wearing Lululemon men's shirts right now. Yeah, and I don't know about you, but I like... We're doing our yeah, part, yeah. Simon. Like, we, we're we doing our part, man. We are contributors. I think a lot of people are have the same mentality when it comes to clothes. Not everyone. I definitely know. And I know their clothes are not cheap. So, obviously, you know, you have to be able to afford them. But I, when I buy clothes or equipment or whatever it is, I don't mind paying a premium if, one, they're comfortable, and, two, I know they'll last for a while. And that I can say 100% when it comes to Lululemon clothes. They are comfortable and they last for years and they feel when good. What are these guys going to sponsor I us? don't know. Like straight I don't up. Know. It's like, dude, like we just like we seem some somehow it makes its way into every single episode. Maybe because we're always wearing it. It's probably top of mind. It's like owns so much mind share. When you're both, we're both looking at someone wearing, <laughs> wearing, you know it's that close because it's very obvious, like on the shoulder, the the, the design. Anyways, one of the they need to pay, they need to pay us, they need to really, they need to smarten up. <laughs> all right, listen, listen up, Lululemon. Uh, thanks so much for listening, guys. We uh, we really appreciate you guys. We are trying to grow. We're trying to double our listenership off the 2021 base. I said to Simon, we got to do 150% of our 2021 base, and we've already hit that. So we got to step it up, and we got to double that base. Now, how can you help? How can you get this podcast in the hands of more people? All you got to do is share it with a friend. Hit us up on Twitter, or like even just on our website. There's a contact list. Just show you sent it uh, to a friend. We'll we'll give you a shout out and like and just just share the share the podcast and give it a rating. Giving it a rating really helps the algorithm. Uh, that's what I've noticed anyways. The the feedback on data is really terrible for podcasts, but what we have noticed is that the rating system flies it up the organic discovery on the podcast players, and that really helps it get into more hands. More people can, uh, you know, if you got value out of it, I know a lot of other people will as well, and it, there's no uh, no cost to them, so they really appreciate that. So go ahead and do that. If you haven't checked out stratosphereinvesting.com, it is 10-year financial statements, high-quality data. You get professional investing data, and uh, it's free. So go check it out at stratosphereinvesting.com. See you in a few days. Peace. The Canadian Investor Podcast should not be taken as investment or financial advice. Braden and Simon may own securities or assets mentioned on this podcast. Always make sure to do your own research and due diligence before making investment or financial decisions.